everyone, I'm Arishi Saxena, and this is Real Lives, Real People. On this podcast, I've forgotten people to hear their candid stories, as there's much more than meets the eye. Topics vary from what people are passionate about, have dealt with, or worldly matters important to them. I hope to give my listeners different perspectives and thoughts, and hope you can take one thing with you from an episode. On this episode, I speak with Miriam Kassin, a friend of mine from school. She is so kind and insanely talented. We talk about how she was able to really embrace all sides of her upbringing, being an Asian American, and also having grown up in France. She's also played piano for the majority of her life, and we talk a lot about music and what it means to her and how it's helped her in many ways. So hope you guys enjoy. Hey, Marianne. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Rishi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on. I'm excited. (laughs) (laughs) So me and Marian, we know each other from our business fraternity at UGA, DSP. Um, that's how we met. Yep. And Marian's the kindest person ever. Like you could ask anyone in their business fraternity. <laughs> debatable. <laughs> thank you. I appreciate it. And smartest uh, person. Very debatable. Yes. Thank you. I'm honored. I'm honored. <laughs> I just try hard, honestly. <laughs> Um, and also very musically talented, so thank you. a ton of hidden talents, and artistically talented as well. Oh, thank so. you. <laughs> um, but do you want to introduce yourself real quick? Yeah, sure. So um, I'm Marion Kassam. Um, again, Arusha and I met for, uh, well, Arusha was pledging for Delta Sigma Pi. I had been a brother already in the fraternity, and mm. um, yeah, so Arusha and I are both, well, I'm, all, I'm more the same age. I just recently graduated from the University of Georgia with, um, yeah, of course I'm going to go into my degrees, right? <laughs> um, I graduated with international business and a marketing co-major, as well as a bachelor's in music um, as a mm. piano major with a French minor as well attached to all of that. And that kind of explains like my, honestly, my life story, I think in a nutshell, yeah. if you're really like concise about it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, international business because I... Uh, I moved to the United States when I was seven with my parents from France. Mm-hmm. Let's see, marketing because I really like design, um, all the arts, the, all the fine arts, whether it's music right. or painting, drawing, all that. Um, and then piano because it's been such an integral part of my life. I've been playing piano since since I was in France, and I carried it all the way over to college and even post college right now. Um, yeah that's what I'm doing and then the French minor because I also speak French with my dad <laughs> kind of cheating when I chose to you know get it as a minor but it's fine it's people fine. do that all the time <laughs> <laughs> but yeah that's a really really quick self-introduction yeah that's awesome and that's super cool that you were able to like make all your majors and you know minors <laughs> work out with your life like that with your interests thank you yeah we have these little stars going on. We're on FaceTime right now, mm-hmm. and we just figured out the stars. Yeah, they're super cute. Very cool. So I guess um, growing up in France, like where did you grow up? Was it like uh-huh. southern France? Like where? Yeah, so I grew up. And on, how was that? I grew up on um, the outskirts of Paris. So it was like, mm-hmm. it's um, Noisy-le-Grand, which is like, oh gosh, like a couple of train rides away, train stops away, sorry couple of train stops mm-hmm. away from the heart of Paris I was born in one of the Paris hospitals but um mm-hmm. yeah so we lived like on the outskirts of it and let's see the most the, the most prominent memories that I remember 
was going to Disneyland Paris every day for the summer. I would force my dad really? to take me. Yeah, because we were so close to it. Um, and it was, again, like, like a train ride away. So I had like a Disney passport and all that. Then my dad go see Winnie the Pooh or Winnie the Swan in, in French. Like every every day, he, he made him go to the play so much. He like had like every line memorized by the end. It was really cute. But yeah, that's like probably my most like one of my most prominent memories of France. That yeah. and then obviously the equivalent of uh, kindergarten, pre K, and also um, kinder music in France, which is like some of the classes not classes but like extracurricular activities that you can put your kids in uh that serve as the basis for like early music education almost so I did those mm-hmm. in France and I also had my first so I started piano when I was six so I had like a year a year and a half of piano instruction in France before carrying that over to, to the U.S. Gotcha. How was um like the outskirts of Paris in terms of like diversity mm-hmm. and like yeah did you feel included yeah I did I did actually it was um so I lived in and my dad still lives there right now so it's the same apartment mm-hmm. complex type thing but more of the rural areas I still can't say that word rural rural <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's really hard for me to say ours in English still after all this time but um let's see yeah so it was a more rural part and mm-hmm. they were they were like yeah they were like the kids there the school elementary school I went to where there was pretty diverse because mm-hmm. we were more on the outskirts and I guess like not the you know not a very I guess not a really like not the most affluent part of Paris so I saw mm-hmm. like pretty much you know a lot of different people different kids we lived next to one of the Asian markets I think so mm-hmm. that's where like my mom got a lot of like, the, the food and stuff that we we cooked up um, okay yeah cool. but I would say like it was pretty it was pretty diverse I played with a lot of different just children in the neighborhood so. Yeah, <laughs> we were talking about the concept of being like an edge walker. Mm-hmm. So tell me more, like, what does an edge walker mean to you? And then yeah. how do you kind of like relate to that? Yeah, sure. Um, so I came across this concept when I was taking my one of my favorite classes in college, multicultural marketing with Dr. Grantham, great class. <laughs> but the, the term essentially means um, someone who is part of more than one culture and who is able to embrace all sides of it versus feeling outcasted from both. So it's a, mm. it's just like walking along the edge, I guess, of the term of both cultures and being feeling as though you're part of both. And so for me, that was honestly, that's honestly how I feel between my three cultures that I kind of balance. Um, so my the French, the European French culture that I was raised in, the Vietnamese, the Asian American culture that has shaped a lot of my upbringing and then obviously coming to America the American culture that kind of makes me Asian American Asian European American I guess Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah to me that I think that really defines me who I am as a person both in terms Mm -hmm. of personality character I guess I do a lot of things I do or I believe a lot of the things I believe in because of the cultures I've been raised in and the cultures that I've grown up in. So I think it's a really good way to describe myself like as, a, as an edge walker. I love all the things yeah. that I'm a part of. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. What are like some of the things that I guess like you believe in? I don't know if you want to talk about, but like mm-hmm. because of your cultures or like things you've learned yeah. from, mm-hmm. you know, embracing them all. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, 
at this point it's more like a melting pot of everything that I've like accumulated that's really affecting yeah. me I think so like growing up in a very I guess more conservative Asian household you know like girls you know should be quiet should be polite should always respect your elders you know and all mm. that the all the I would say overall umbrella uh, morals that a lot of like Asian households teach their children but then on the right. other hand it's like you know coming to America or even being raised in 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 France for example and mm-hmm. learning more of more to be individualistic and to really speak yeah, out your ideals yeah speak out for your own morals and your own beliefs that's very very American and I mm-hmm. think up until like even even late high school maybe even college for me it was still kind of hard just like not hard but just a little bit a little bit more difficult to I guess really say what was on my mind because mm-hmm. I think I'm more I think I'm way more not aggressive but I'm way more confrontational than people think I would be I think and so that's one of the things where I've had to kind of really shape up and work on to I guess to say what's really on my mind whether it's like in class to professors more importantly in college to recruiters doing interviews and all that because you know part of me has always been like oh you know I'm supposed to conform I'm supposed to listen and kind of like not like do as what you're told but again just because because I am a small Asian female (laughs) like you know oh you're supposed to be polite you're you're, you know I try to like fit in yeah yeah. you're supposed to fit in oh I thought you were shy oh blah blah blah. oh you're way more extroverted than I thought you know so it's like I think Mm. it's all of that and none of it not nothing is all bad and nothing is all good everything has its pros and cons but yeah that's I think that's been pretty big in shaping who I am today um Mm. kind of ties in yeah so I think the the most um opposing values would be the asian quote-unquote asian values versus versus the american values i'd say yeah i totally get that from like also coming from like you know yeah. immigrant family yeah, like, exactly. I came here yeah. when i was like really young yeah, and then exactly. you know at home you're taught to like never disrespect yeah it's your exactly. elders yeah, um exactly. don't talk back at all so like yeah. at school it's like different because yeah a lot of kids are like arguing and yeah. you know you're just like yeah. oh like do we do that yeah, yeah. <laughs> do we do? like for me like it was like you're you, when you're taught to kind of like oh your teacher is always right you know you have to respect yeah. them. any talking back counts as being disrespectful and so you know mm-hmm. and I'd be sitting there in class and all these kids are raising their hands with like different opinions and I'm like oh you know I I have things I want to say too I guess but like is it okay (laughs) like is it okay for me to say that is it okay for me to debate with them and in the end Mm. it's you know finding that everyone has a voice and just being comfortable and confident enough to express that so that's yeah yeah. I feel like eventually if you're like living here you eventually find that balance exactly hopefully right with a bit of yeah a bit of luck and a bit of I had the I had really good friends and really good mentors to kind of guide Mm -hmm. me so hopefully if everyone can find someone or people like that for them I think it's really good for yeah Yeah. I read this thing a while ago and it was like race is so prominent inside our society and like you know labels Mm -hmm. and like people so I feel like some people get like frustrated when you can't like pinpoint oh yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh absolutely I that's a really good um I don't know I I really like that because I guess like I've since I've grown up with just 
so many people not knowing what I am, either like whether it's like racially <laughs> or ethnically or anything that I say or do, I guess is really surprising to a lot of people. Right. Um, like, oh, you speak French. Or like for me, you know, a small five foot Asian girl being like, you know, someone being straight to my face, oh, so what are you? And I'm like, oh, I'm French. And then, you know, eyes bulging out, like, what? Like, not to be, I mean, sometimes it's, like, a little offensive, depending, mm. you know, if you, if they ask tastefully, then I'll reply, you know, a li- with a little bit more respect. But, yeah. um, but most of the time, I just have kind of, like, fun with it because they're, like, you know, they're if they're genuinely surprised, and that just kind of makes me happy because I'm like, yeah, like, I'm not what you thought I was, you know? <laughs> like, I gotcha, kind of. Proved you wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I've, I think we we get that a lot as just immigrants like coming into America where we don't look like the the norm because we're not mm-hmm. we're not born enough. Our families aren't from here. Our family history isn't from here, and so I guess like, yeah, I think that's that's shaped me a lot too. Just being able to, being able to understand and realize what my identity is and what the best way to showcase that like how what is the best best way to um to tell someone who I am without it sounding you know abrasive or I don't know does that make sense I don't think that makes any sense (laughs) (laughs) no it does it does okay Okay. yeah yeah just trying to find like the best way to explain Mm -hmm. yourself yeah because like in the at the end of the day um if someone is generally genuinely trying to get to know you that, and if you're comfortable with wanting to, you know, talk to them and make that connection with them, then it's all about building up that relationship, right? So, mm. well, I totally got off track. What were we <laughs> talking about? about um, I guess, like, the identity, right? Identity and... Yeah, and yeah. But keep going. I think that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, okay. No, I was going to say, um, when, I guess for me, if someone is trying to really have strong if someone is trying to have a relationship with me that sounds wrong if someone if I'm trying <laughs> to establish a connection with someone and yeah they want to know more about me I feel like eventually like ethnicity and race and your background does exactly it comes into play with like who you are so yeah exactly and so like and for me that's like often even the way we started this interview, that's the first thing that comes to my mind is like to really know me or get to know me, period. I want you to know who I am. And that encompasses mm. where I'm from, what languages I speak, what cultures I belong in, um, what my name is versus what I look like. Because my name is very European and mm. it just doesn't... Uh, Marion is it's like Marion is very French and Kessim is a New Zealand oh, right. last name from my dad's far far history that branches in the middle east but yeah uh, mm-hmm. and then you know you look at me and i am honestly just very i'm a small petite asian girl and so <laughs> i think that always comes up very pretty um pretty soon in the conversation if someone if i'm trying to talk to someone and they're trying to you know mm-hmm. get to know me and so yeah i think it's just good to be able to kind of communicate all that respectfully and tastefully both parties right right just so you can have like a better bridge for communication right I mean yeah I feel like you you can't just like avoid it completely and be friends with people and never like acknowledge I think a lot I think people can some people definitely can I just know that I can't it's so integral yeah integral part of me 
even like the thing like because it's like it encompasses so much more than just like what languages I speak at home it's like what mm-hmm. foods I eat what shows I yeah. get to watch and so it's like you know when you kind of encompass all of that it's like to really know me you just need to understand who I am as a person which encompasses where I'm from and all that and mm-hmm. I, again I think some people can just choose not to bring it up and that's infinitely like totally their right to do so but just I just know for me it's not like if I want someone to really know who I am then they need to understand that part of me as well right I come from like where you stand on that but I I do see that like people yeah maybe don't find that like necessary yeah and I and I completely see that and I think I'm I'm maybe a little bit stronger on that part of my identity because I'm a first generation immigrant Mm-hmm, um, like yeah. some of my friends who are second generation which means that their their parents are the ones who moved here first and they were born in the U.S. or something and they, they grew mm-hmm. up in a slightly different with slightly different perspectives as I think first yeah. generation immigrants do where it's like you come here and just everything is new right there's no English at home everything is completely new mm-hmm. um, and so I guess I'm really proud of that identity and that's why yeah. for, in my case I want to I want people to know who I am but yeah, I totally right. see, I, again, I completely see someone <laughs> want to like not talk about it. And I think it's completely like, right. yeah, like some of my valid, yeah. yeah, like really, really valid. But mm-hmm. yeah, that's just me though. Yeah. Yeah, I get that because for me, I mean, like being Indian is such a big part of my identity now, especially because, especially with like music, like you have, I feel like people need to understand like why I'm so into Indian music and like because I'm Indian and then other things too you know yeah um and when you were talking about like being first gen and second gen there's also that a really big difference between like how your parents raise you yeah, exactly mm-hmm. absolutely um, so even if you are like a first gen but maybe you came here when you were like really really young so you pretty much were raised here uh, yeah like, kind of how I was so there's still but there's still so many differences in how you're yeah, like yeah. grown exactly. how you grew up yeah I think I'm classifying classifying first gen and second gen really concretely like Pokemon mm. like and people aren't <laughs> they're not Pokemon we can't be first gen or second gen and just like very <laughs> loosely um yeah. and kind of like arbitrarily classifying you know like just first generation kids as more the ones who I think maybe have had to overcome a little bit more experiences that the second generation may or may not have faced so mm-hmm. for me I think a lot of that is answering the doorbell in English answering phone calls in English because my parents are unable to do so like that's one of the first things that come into mind like that's mm-hmm. one of the things where it's like uh, if we go shopping, if we go return something in customer service, my English is stronger than my parents as a kid to go and help them do that. And that, you know, like stuff like that, I think mm-hmm. is just a little bit different. But again, it really depends on each each person's situation, I think. Yeah. So I guess like um, going back to like music, you started when you were six playing the piano. Mm-hmm. And then how did you get into like, did you just keep on continuing? Yeah, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got you. Uh, yeah, so in France, I started one of the extracurricular activities that my mom, that my parents sent me to was the music conservatory in a little town. And so mm-hmm. I did, so again, kinder music in, in France, which is, again, right. pre-music education. It's just getting the kid to be used to different sounds, different 
musical instruments and seeing what they kind of like to gauge interest. And then I chose yeah. the piano when I was six. And I think I immediately, immediately always had an interest, big interest in the piano. And turns out that I was also, um, I guess, like decently gifted as well. And so <laughs> uh, my parents kind of right off the bat bought me a real weighted electronic piano, which is different from a mm. keyboard. And so with the weighted electronic keyboard, I, I went, I think I advanced really rapidly within that year. And it was just something that I loved too much to give up. I knew it was like, I guess like as a kid, my parents and I, we are, I guess we collectively knew that it was something that was both a passion and both something that I loved and couldn't, wouldn't give up. Mm-hmm. So that when we moved to the United States, um, and we were thankfully able to have our first uh, house, the house I'm still in. Did you see this? Yeah, this has been here for a while. But the, one of the first things that my mom bought for the house was a used upright piano for me. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty risky buy since, you know, you're coming here. Like, you know, we're literally like a very risky right. buy for us. But she was like, so like you know, a full, like a full size piano. Like, yeah, or, an upright, okay. right? So it's not, not a grand piano. Okay. Those are so expensive. <laughs> but um, uh, an upright piano, which is a real piano versus okay. a weighted keyboard, something like that runs a lot of Yeah. And yeah. so I got like a real, like hammer, like all that stuff. Um, a real okay. piano. My, my cake Hawaii downstairs. It's, um, he's mm-hmm. beautiful. But, um, yeah, and so with with that, my mom kind of got me, found me. Uh, we started with like one, one piano teacher around in the area, and she was she was a she was just wasn't I guess wasn't the level that we expected. Um, I think I had pr- progressed quickly enough in France where I had to have like a legitimate professor. I think, mm-hmm. and so we we looked around a bit more, and by the time I was, I think it was like either eight or nine um we were really lucky and we found my private piano teacher whom I stayed with all up until college oh wow yeah, um, yeah and she was re- she's amazing I still I still keep in touch with her um she's Russian like she graduated from yeah Russia mm. she's yeah she's amazing but mm-hmm. yeah she helped me just grow my love for music I guess like I just kept playing um, again, so she's Russian. So the first mm-hmm. couple, and you know, like you, yeah, the first couple lessons. First of all, my English isn't that hot, right? My English is like very like fresh. Um, she spoke English, and she speaks English with a pretty thick Russian accent as well. So the first, mm-hmm. like, I would say the first like, couple lessons, um, we I don't think we really communicated with English, if I remember correctly. It was just through music. Like, mm-hmm. uh, I've always been a visual and auditory learner, I think, and so. You know, it's monkey see, monkey do, like that sort of thing while teaching yeah. me piano, classical music. And that worked really well. Like I felt like I really understood her. And um, yeah, music has been my bridge, my connection between myself and other people since I was young from both, you know, piano and my, my first, my Russian teacher here in the United States up until when I took up orchestra in high school, middle school, sorry. I took up orchestra in middle school, high school, um, and again, like music really provided me a connection to to be had with other people and honestly, like to make friends, too. I think that, that's why music has been such a big part of me growing up. Yeah. Because you think you got like a lot of friendships from music? Oh, 100 percent. Like it would be mm-hmm. I remember in even in fifth grade, I think I was I was interested in doing like the talent show and all that. So I'd be practicing fifth grade talent show 
and then you play like a Chopin or something. Um, and even that, it was like the the gratification of I guess other kids, like my my friends. I guess back then I, I barely spoke English, but you know somehow like I still had friends. <laughs> like little kids are are really sweet, and they just be like come up to me like oh my god that was so cool oh my god you're so cool and I'd be like no you're really cool and so like you know as 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 the kids that that we were so that was yeah. that was always like almost instant connection, and then in in middle school um. Oh, this is fun. So in middle school, when I took up violin in orchestra, I'd also play mm-hmm. like piano for some of the other orchestras as piano accompaniment and all that. And then in our free time, like free period or that, and then after school orchestra practice, we would always just goof around and play and just like jam together, right? Whether it's like pop song, yeah. collaborations and all that. And that was just so much fun. Like I made some of my best friends to, to this day were the friends I made in orchestra. Mm-hmm. Band, like through music yeah so that's been okay. yeah really really big in my life the girl what up. instrument did you play in orchestra violin violin okay yeah so divided violin there um yeah I guess I wasn't I was serious about it but not like really serious about it I never had a private violin teacher but I think my, mm-hmm. my piano skills carried over <laughs> uh, and I, I got like yeah I was I was decent um we went to perform my high school orchestra at GSMST, the Gwinnett School of Math, Science, and Technology, we were, mm-hmm. um, they were very good. And we ended up performing at Carnegie Hall for my oh, sophomore okay. year of high school. Um, that was incredible. Like playing violin yeah. uh, in the big hall for like some festival that we got accepted into. Mm-hmm. That was just really, really fun. Like such a good experience through music yeah. um me and my and my friends I really miss that honestly high school was like, <laughs> a struggle but <laughs> um, yeah <laughs> but music music really was worth it orchestra we would like goof around we had like free time before the concert like, <laughs> like pre-concert and we would like all like jam pack each other and we would go in one car like seven of <laughs> I shouldn't say that um <laughs> we fit it into a car and we went to like Publix or Chick-fil-a or whatever it was a Burger King we went to Burger King and we just chilled there until it was time to like head back to to the orchestra orchestra room to practice for the concert. Mm. So yeah, just so many so many good memories I have with both ensemble playing and just solo playing with piano as well. Right. Yeah. Oh oh my god! One of the defining moments for me, um, mm-hmm. junior year of high school, I got into GHP. Uh, the Governor's Honor oh, Program yeah. as a piano mm-hmm. major. That's awesome. Uh, that's, oh my God, that was like one of the best summers. It's still up until, it's still now, even now, one of the best summers of my life. Um, yeah. How long was it? Uh, that program is four weeks, I believe, out of your summer. Oh, okay. Uh, fully paid. And ours was at Valdosta, Valdosta University. And I mean, I think that honestly, that experience really like, made my love for music grow probably that's you know mm-hmm. that's probably why I wanted to major in it in college too like yeah <laughs> yeah because of GHP um gosh that was such a good summer we as piano majors I really think we had like the best of both worlds mm-hmm. we were just there instead of like projects or presentations but like in any of the other majors that they had like history presentation science presentation <laughs> we just had practice for your performance then you're free to go hang out with your friends we were like yay and there were only six of us too right only six piano majors oh wow and so we were like super tight and we would we would do everything together we'd practice together we would goof off together we'd go to the movie nights trivia nights all the the slam poetry nights at ghp were amazing 
but yeah anyways yeah big formative experience and it really led me to want to keep going to keep learning yeah music Mm -hmm. how far do you think you've come in music like I feel like music is so like oh my god never ending yeah you know like you could always even like the biggest musicians say themselves like oh I haven't learned anything oh my gosh so my my piano professor shout out to Dr. Rifkin my man (laughs) at UGA I love him to death um as he says you know and he's so good he's won he's been a winner of the Tchaikovsky competition he's like so Mm. good um he's also Russian I've had my luck with Mm. just my luck with Russian professors but he says you know you could spend a lifetime studying music a lifetime studying piano and you still would not know even close to everything and so Mm. in, in that sense there's like so much more that I can learn that I can grow from that can make me a better pianist and a better musician Mm-hmm. But compared to, even if you were just to compare the point from GHP as a as a piano major, I was really really proud of that. But you know, and and at that po- at that point, you think that you're good, you know, because like you're like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm GHP as a piano I major, yeah. the only six of us in the state, you know, and it's like a statewide competition. So <laughs> you think that you're like pretty good, and even among the six pianists there, I was like, honestly, I'm probably like not. I'm like okay, I'm like averagely good there. That's not a word but I'm average there. But even so, I have like that pride. I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I think I'm pretty good. I love the music. I love what I hear when I play the piano. And then, Mm -hmm. and then you, you keep on learning and you, you listen back to how you've played. I'm like, wow, I sounded like doo-doo, you know? So it's like, (laughs) it's, there's so much growth music wise um, that I kind of encountered, especially, I think, especially at UGA with Dr. Rifkin, because what he taught me was, to really listen like music is just listening and the gratification of piano mm. for me is enjoying hearing what you're playing and so that kind of unlocks like a totally different world when you realize that you can control what the music sounds like when you play and like mm-hmm. really listen like really really listening I think is what made me grow as a pianist in college so yeah yeah I don't know if that made any sense but (laughs) no I I get it um so I'm actually trying to learn how to sing like classical Indian music (gasps) right now so which is very different than like normal regular singing (laughs) um and like my teacher right now I'm just like learning online from her um she was like yeah like music is all listening like you just need to listen yeah and I honestly like I I think I do get where she's coming from I do get what she means but I'm still like trying to listen more yeah 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 because I I think it's like you really need to listen to like how somebody's playing something or like saying something like all the little intricacies of the song maybe maybe you'll be like me and you'll have like an aha moment I really yeah it like you know, honestly like my moment like it hit me like a truck it was um, <laughs> uh I was okay so I was using pedal which in piano makes a sound and like I know mm-hmm. I know you know what it is but I'm just you know explaining yeah uh, the pedal makes a sound not vibrate what's the word it makes a sound um yeah it sustains the sound for a lot longer than it's supposed to be when you press down a key Mm. and up until a certain point I had been using the pedal and sustaining the notes 
kind of arbitrarily like yeah like it sounds really pretty it's all kind of like flowy and watery echoey I was like oh that's pretty you know I'm gonna keep doing that until they came like and this is like very early with between me and Dr. Rifkin and he was like yo are you listening and I'm like what are you talking about yes I'm listening he's like no you're not listening listen and I was like what and then I listened I actually like opened my ears and I was like oh wait that's a changing harmony why am I pedaling through a changing harmony and that's essentially that's just taboo because you music is made so that every harmony has an intention to it and unless Mm -hmm. it's that composers unless that's music's intention to sustain that harmony over like two changing chords or something then you have to respect that and really perform it well in order to hear what the composer was wanting you to play and Mm -hmm. when I when I realized that and I was like wow I've just been playing this just was sounding wrong it was sounding incorrect because I was just sitting the pedal too long so I fixed that and then I heard something that I just knew I had never played it that way before. Mm-hmm. And that was just, I was just shook. I was like, wow, that's like incredible. And that yeah. was like, that was my moment. I was like, okay. And from then on, I, I really, I just trained that more. And I mm-hmm. think I grew so much from that. And again, that moment like really hit me like a truck. Honestly, I think I played pretty bad, like pretty poorly up until <laughs> because of that. Because I'm like, dude, if, if you have a pianist who can listen and hear all that from like, a 12 or 13 year old like that age then they would be like so good because that's like mm-hmm. it takes a lifetime to train that up or to, and to hear that really so yeah anyways I was just like so amazed I was like wow Dr. Rifkin you're a genius and he's like <laughs> he's like I hate you Marion I'm like okay Dr. Rifkin, I love you too. but uh, yeah yeah I was um so my teacher she was like telling me about this song it's a pretty well-known like Indian song and she was like, if you listen really closely, you'll hear that on this part of the sentence, like she sings a bit louder to express that like emotion more. And I was like, whoa, like I never yeah. had heard that before. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. How is it like with piano? Um, uh, you know, like without lyrics, sometimes is it hard for you to like place an emotion to something? Ooh, that's a really good question. You know, because like composers maybe have their own idea of what their music mm-hmm. means to them mm-hmm. but do you have like a different idea or... that's a really good question one of my other students was just asking me how do you express like, emotions through something like piano where there are no lyrics involved so I think piano a lot of like instrumental music like classical music without um not talking about opera and all that mm-hmm. a lot of it deals with imagery so you know, some of it is knowing when the piece was written, how the piece was written, what was the composer's state of mind when it was written. A lot of it mm-hmm. does deal with that because that does explain a lot of it. Um, and then obviously the other half of it is explained through the harmonies and the melodies and the music with whatever you're playing. So like mm-hmm. um, like Beethoven's Moonlight, you know, starts off very slow and somber you're not going to play that with a happy mood in mind, you know, you're not right. going to be like, boom, 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 boom. like, no, it's not going to be, yeah. it's not, that's not how it's supposed to sound. And so I guess like expressing that, um, I guess for me, it's always come pretty naturally because I'm pretty expressive myself. Uh, but I think the easiest for me to convey that through the piano 
is having a specific imagery in my head and then figuring out how to make it sound like the way I see it, if that makes sense. And the best example I have of that is one of my favorite pieces I played in college was um, Liz's, one of Liz's etudes, um, Nomen, no, oops, Val- Valdis Rauchen. I'm definitely butchering that. I I'm, can't speak German. But it's about, um, it's well, literally translated, it's forced murmurs. And the whole time when Dr. Rifkin is, is teaching me, is coaching me on that piece, the the piece deals with this forest, like the fairy king. Uh, in my head, it's the fairy king's forest, right? But to Dr. Mm-hmm. Rifkin, he was like, yeah, it's like a for- a calm forest. In my head, I'm instantly like, okay, fairy king, because that's what it sounds like to me. Like, I'm imagining fairies in there. I'm imagining like this like nice like creek. And then how do I convey that through music? Like, how do I make that sound? Well, if the fairies are playing and dancing, I'm going to use a light touch and probably use softer piano dynamics for that. When the tempest comes and, you know, the, this part is way more dramatic, you know, maybe the forest is being hit by like a tornado or something, you know? <laughs> so it's like, and how to convey that using the piano is, I guess, something that every pianist, every musician strives for. Like, how do you convey your emotions through the music? But yeah, for me, it deals a lot with imagery and how it feels to my fingers, I think. Mm-hmm. if that explains your, que- your, your question yeah no yeah. <laughs> I remember um listening going to your piano recital <gasps> yeah, in school <laughs> and like you were just like you're definitely like a petite oh yeah <laughs> and, again I'm a five foot and like your tiny little hands were like going along the piano and it was such like a grand like big piece mm-hmm. and there was so much like dramatic emotion yeah, into yeah, it. and then yeah. I was like whoa <laughs> yeah definitely definitely piano is a lot uh like I mean am I disadvantaged because of my small fingers yes like I have to roll a lot of the things that otherwise I wouldn't be able to play like monoff and other mm-hmm. stuff and list too but you know the the other hand is like on the other hand being a pianist you don't want like well in my opinion this is all up to interpretation anyways but yeah. you don't want a lot of body movement because it might distract the audience from the music but on the other mm. hand music is also visual and so you know the breath you take or the rest the silence that you're going to make that you're going to create all that adds to the performance as well so yeah i think so my sophomore recital yeah i was playing oh yeah i was playing my greek sonata a really really amazing piece but mm. it needs a lot of power and so the whole time for that piece I am just like just it's a workout like it's a, like a, it's a <laughs> upper body like finger workout because I'm trying to produce the best sound that I can. A lot of the a lot of like the third movement is forte for sure, um, very loud and not loud but very um, majestic I would say. And so mm-hmm. I need a lot of power like just raw <laughs> upper body <laughs> upper body strength power to do that. Like my GHP piano professor literally told looked me in the eye and was like, Mary, you should do some push-ups to like increase your like arm strength so you can play the piano. <laughs> and I was like, Okay, Dr. Oh I'll do that. Um, did you? <laughs> well actually though, like after like I worked out, I did um a little bit of whatever weight training we do before corona hit. But like honestly, <laughs> like yeah, improvement, like definitely because no, piano no. music is also like you need to have the the strength to do it. Especially when, again, I am a pretty small um, girl. And so at the piano, I need to have all the strength I can muster if I have to play mm-hmm. something a certain way. Do your fingers ever, like, cramp up? Um, 
Oh, they I used am. to. Yeah, they used to in like middle school when I didn't know how to practice. Um, so I was playing. I was playing just pieces that were too not too difficult, but just they were too physically difficult for my fingers back then. And so there's mm. a period of time. Like I think my left hand is pre- pretty much has um, tendonitis, so it's like inflamed at the at the what is this like wrist joint part. Mm, and it doesn't like prohibit me from like playing but it does hurt sometimes especially if like you thrust down here if you like grab my wrist sometimes it really hurts uh and that's just due to practicing wrong because mm-hmm. i was my wrist was really tense when i was trying to play that Re- chopin's revolutionary etude by the way that's just not something <laughs> i should have been playing um that small but it's just like it I kind of really learned from that. Whenever you practice, you have to practice correctly as well. If you practice correctly, mm-hmm. then no matter how long you play, your fingers won't cramp. Like maybe your back will hurt. Like if I play for more than three hours, I think my back, <laughs> my butt, like low key starts like hurting a little bit. But then yeah. you just like stretch out, and then you like you take like a five minute break, get some water, and then like pretty much you're fine. The whole trick to piano, especially piano, right? I can't speak for like any other instrument. Right? <laughs> if you do this for like a wind instrument, I think the respiratory system would have like issues. <laughs> I don't know how to practice, but um, and and props to them. But for piano, at least, um, yeah, for piano, at least, if you relax, if your wrists and if your fingers are relaxed, then you can go on playing for quite a while. Mm-hmm. With the guitar, I sometimes like I definitely get like cramps in my hands, yeah. and the guitar is also. Also, like, I'm not the biggest person either, so, like, I think it's just too big for me, honestly. Uh, yeah, guitar is, um, all the, the string instruments, including guitar, guitar is something where you just have to make sure the neck is good for your fingers. So, like, yeah. like my guitar, I have to make sure that, I had to make sure when I bought it that the neck, I could wrap all my fingers around it, because otherwise it's right. impossible. If you have, like, smaller, if your hand's on the smaller side, then you can't do like bar chords or anything comfortably, which just I kind of sucks. I literally can't do bar chords. It just kind of sucks because you're like, oh, yeah. these are important chords, but I can't do right. them because my fingers are too small. <laughs> I know. I'm just waiting co- to buy a new guitar like next yeah. year. Yeah. Um, because when I my first guitar I got in California, like as a little like as a raffle mm-hmm. lottery ticket thing, mm-hmm. in a raffle. Um. And I was in the third grade, like, so it was a half-size guitar. (laughs) And I still have it. Like, it's such, like, a – I don't think I would ever give it away, you know. Plus, even if I did, I would barely get anything from it. Sentimental value. Um, Yeah. So that's what kind of – that has always just been sitting in my room, you know, since then. Uh And then I decided to, like, play it more. And that's when I got, like, a actual full-size guitar. But – I mean, we just wanted to get something, like, on the cheaper side, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I didn't – I really didn't think about, like, bar chords yeah, and, yeah. and then, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, I mean, that's – yeah, I think it's just – if you can do it, then you can do it. But if it's, like – if it starts hurting really badly every time you play, then, yeah, I would just be careful yeah. because we don't want to really ruin your wrist because of that. So, yeah, but it's, it was also um, just, like, the body of the guitar was is pretty big. Oh. So, I mean, just – trying to wrap my right arm around it my shoulder starts to hurt if I play too long is it an acoustic <laughs> guitar uh-huh okay yeah acoustics yeah. can be pretty big so yeah yeah so you got it though you got it you I'll get a new one I'll get a new one once I move it move out yeah um once I'm in my new apartment then I'll just get one done you know yeah. I don't want to have to deal with like 
moving it back and forth and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> guitar is a good instrument to know, like, just to, yeah. to jam out. And, and you play the guitar, too. I, a tiny bit. That's a, okay. I, I, play, <laughs> I play the guitar for fun. Um, I can, when should you get into it? Um, after I learned violin, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I'm pretty sure this is like sometimes in middle school I was like wow these bands look really cool I kind of want a guitar too mm-hmm. that, that was like it and I was like okay let's go yeah. play a guitar and then I, went to I feel like a lot of people have guitars just in I their house it's pretty versatile yeah. not to be like super biased because I am a pianist but I think um, <laughs> I think the guitar is probably one of the easier instruments to learn just because no, yeah. a lot of people I know um they don't really necessarily need to read the music either, the guitarist. If you just know right. the general like shapes of the chords and you can identify that, you can very easily play whatever you want on the guitar. I think that's really, yeah. really cool. Mm-hmm. So when I started playing, I mean, I had done some like I could read some like music sheets, but mm-hmm. nowadays, like if I'm never playing the guitar, I don't really look for like guitar music. Yeah, I, yeah. I try to play it to like sing with it. Yeah, so same, I same. Try yeah. To figure out the chords. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're using guitar as like an accompanying instrument versus like yeah. classical guitar, um, right? You just honestly, I I just do the chords. Which, yeah. yeah. Which is oh, this sounds good. Like this. Yeah, sounds this good. sounds good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I remember like going. I think I don't know what was going on. It was at your apartment. Like it was like yeah, a party yeah, 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 yeah. That was so that. fun. Yeah, that was um, um, we were both definitely kind of drunk. I was definitely tipsy, but we came out. You were, yes. yeah. I was definitely, I was definitely tipsy. But we went up to my room and I saw you, and I was like, oh my gosh, I really want to hear you sing right now. <laughs> and you were like, what? And I was like, I wish she hears my guitar. And you're like, okay. And then it was so nice. I loved hearing you sing and play with guitar. I don't even, what did I, I don't remember what I was saying. Oh, I have no idea what happened. I, I literally, I just vaguely remember this and I just know that I really enjoyed what I heard. And like, I like but yeah, you sang, it was so pretty. I love your voice. I think it's really, really like, good. Yeah. <laughs> Is there anything else that music has like taught you? Like, it's like life lessons. It's taught me like, well, the most important thing is probably communication. When I was, mm-hmm. when my English was like pretty rough, I think music was a really good outlet for me to express what I was feeling in a way, whether it was to like my piano teacher or like, especially like, I guess like orchestra and like just playing together with like friends. It was very relaxing. It was provided really good, um, yeah, just basic communication skills, I think, for me. And then, was music ever like? Do you use it as like an escape? For, like, oh, a hundred percent. Yeah, hundred percent. I would, uh, yeah, I would. I kind of use music as an outlet for almost anything, because yeah. it always makes me feel better. It's like when I play piano, right. my brain is like, "Ooh, happy!" Like endorphins. And so, yeah. you know, with that, you know, if, if I'm sad, if I'm upset, something happened, if I'm stressed, uh, music mm-hmm. has always been a really good way for me to do that. And so, in a sense, I'm kind of glad that it's not my I, I didn't technically go professional professional with it like I didn't go to music academy or music conservatory or anything be- and so because of that I've been able to use music as a really good escape when I've been stressed mm-hmm. like other things um that but, way you're not like class you're not yeah versus like you know needing to practice for a competition I think competition right. culture I'm, I'm really I don't think I'm that cut out 
I really don't think I'm cut out for composition. I'm I love performing, so I I really do think I I'm a performer, but I'm definitely not competition, um, bred I guess, because I just mm. I play because I love it and because it's fun, and so I yeah. feel like being really competitive to, like, about it. Yeah, yeah, being really competitive about it I think would take away. I think would have taken away. It away. It, yeah, because yeah. even when I was auditioning I for like the competition, the concerto competition at UGA which was pretty big. Even then, like, oh, I love performing for the judges and all that. But the competition air itself is still, like, always kind of toxic for me. Right. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I, I, it's okay. Like, I mean, maybe in the future, who knows? Maybe I'll go back and get, like, a piano. <laughs> that would be great, honestly. Like, get another <laughs> uh, master's or something. But, um, yeah. So that, that's been that. And I think it's a lot of um, teamwork. Music is a lot of collaboration and teamwork my orchestra days and my ensemble days, whether it's like trios or like just piano, um, piano and another solo instrument. Like I did a, um, my really good friend, Jack plays cello really well. Mm. did a um, Brahms piano, cello, Brahms cello sonata. Yeah, Brahms cello mm. sonata. Um, and I play piano accompaniment for him. And that's just so much teamwork. Music is so much about learning from the other person being receptive to critiques and yeah you, you know like yeah being able to adapt being able to communicate what you want across being able to take in criticism all of that I've learned so much through music mm. and having music be the means of communication with other people so that's been that's been really big as well yeah yeah I don't know I guess I didn't really expect my parents definitely didn't expect me to be able to use music as a bridge between my gap in knowing English and communicating mm-hmm. with other people. Um, but in retrospect, like that's, I think honestly what happened, like I really used music as just a really good bridge between me and others in a lot of ways. Yeah. Whether it's like using it, you know, like, oh, like I'll play this song. Oh, my fifth grade talent show piece or fourth grade. I don't remember, but I played accompaniment for one of my friends in fifth grade and we became mm-hmm. friends because she wanted to sing my heart will go on by Celine mm-hmm. Neal and she wanted like piano accompaniment oh she sung really well um, her name was Chanel mm-hmm. and, th- and that's a friend you know like I can barely yeah. speak your language right now I can barely speak English but you want me to play these notes I'll play these notes for you and you can sing for and you know it's it's, it's like yeah. such an amazing collaboration at the end because it's yeah. it's just so nice to like work together and then and hear that and like oh yeah like I've yeah we're playing together we're performing together so that's yeah you know, whether it's like like music, that, can, music can definitely like bring people together yeah exactly yeah that and just overall like music is meant to attract an audience right you play music for yourself and you also play mm-hmm. music for an audience and so like the friends that I guess that I've attracted and who have attracted me we've all been more or less in the same um musical area as well whether it's like me and other pianists or like me and like my orchestra friends and then it's just so much when playing together and like you know bopping the Shostakovich together or like um Chaik um um, and all that so yeah all that is just so good like it a lot of friendships a lot of connections and bonds through music yeah yeah I think like I mean the I guess one of the main things I'd want to communicate to other people if they're listening to a podcast about about my life, honestly, mm-hmm. is that if 
especially if you're like new to something, whether it's because you're an immigrant and you just don't speak English or you look different from the people around you or you're just, you know, a bit intimidated by your surroundings. What's been really helpful for me is being able to find the network, the friendships and the connections to build up your confidence and to be able to speak your mind in the end, to communicate with other people in the way that you want to. I think that's one of the big takeaways that I got from from my life. <laughs> uh, I guess like that one of the takeaways that got me to where I am now is just realizing that you know um, communicating is really one of the greatest tools that you can have against the world. Mm-hmm against the world um as you like yeah honestly like against the world because the communication not only in verbal form but like obviously you know transcending languages and all that like music through music through art forms through you know like physical signs or like all that just communication is so important and one of the one of the speakers from uga from like marketing class or something one of the best mm. things that i remember ever hearing was that the most important life lesson that you want to take away is how to communicate, how to be able to communicate with people who don't look like you. And to this day, I still think that's like so, so or such good advice. Like, I think it's such good advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess for our signature ending, mm-hmm. I've been doing this morning where I like ask people like their favorite quote or like, favorite recent song or you know anything like that like could be a person too or yeah 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 um absolutely I always use this one it's a quote (laughs) from the little prince by the French Uh author uh it's let me translate sorry um what is essential is invisible to the eyes the the essential can be found in your heart what's essential is invisible to your eyes yeah, what's essential is invisible to your eyes. Like, almost like we're not um, the grateful for, like, what... Like, the important things will be seen with your heart. Like, that's the thing. Like, you won't you oh, don't okay. see the important things with your eyes. You see them with your heart. And so I feel like that you can tie anything into that, really. Right. And make that, like, really mean anything. Whether if you want to be super, um, you know, if you want to be superficial with it and it's, like, Oh yeah, like what I what you see isn't technically what you get. Like you know, like I guess you can do yeah. that. But I guess like for me, it's more of like everything that really matters, like to me, isn't mm-hmm. really like you know fame, how much money you get, how good you are at something, how smart you are, how pretty you are, like how successful you are. It's honestly like how you feel about it. Like, are you happy? Like, are you happy doing what you're doing? Are you happy with the people around you? And so it's like I don't know. It's like what you see, like the essential, the most important thing to me it's felt like a scene with my heart and not with my eyes. That's like been one of, that's one of my favorite quotes. Yeah. Wait, how do you say it in French? Um, on ne voit bien qu'avec le cœur, l'essentiel est invisible pour les yeux. So if I were to actually translate the quote now that it's in front of me, uh, we only see well with our heart. The essential is invisible to our eyes. That's the quote. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Just one that, yeah. Because cool. <laughs> you asked me for my favorite quote, and I can't even quote it. Like to the quote, it's, <laughs> it's like really sad. It's always just like the general idea. Yeah, yeah. I got the like general idea. Never, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks so much okay. for coming on the podcast. Yeah. Well, thank I really you for having me. You. I really enjoyed talking to you and catching up with you too. We definitely need to come yeah. back sometimes. Yes, for sure. Okay. Bye.
Bye, Rushi. So thank you, Marion, for coming on the podcast. I loved having you on, and thank you to everyone who listened in. Be sure to check out the Instagram to put faces to names and share the podcast with anyone you think would like it. And I hope you all are staying safe and a friendly reminder to check to see if you're registered to vote. And if you are, be sure to go vote. Have a good week. Bye.